like I just said, it's Advent, and I love Advent. Uh, some of us grew up celebrating Advent uh, with candles and things like this, and for others of you, this might be a new tradition. Uh, doesn't matter if you haven't celebrated it before. Welcome to doing that in the way that we do here at Mill City Church. And today, we lit the candle of joy, as you heard Hannah and Thompson read, and this is called the Shepherd's Candle. Because they were the ones that were told that uh, there's going to be good, great news of great joy. And so I actually want to start off by reading the Christmas story, which I'm sure many of you have heard. But I want us to really think about the story from the perspective of the shepherds, okay? So, does anybody here have a vocation that's even close to being a shepherd? Anyone? Some small farm animals? People have got chickens in the city parenting. Okay, but I'm really going for the animal thing, and I don't want to think you want to publicly say that about your children. So anybody with the small animals? No one? Anybody have dogs that eat grass? Okay, so we're getting, we basically, it's very a far cry for us to understand this particular vocation, right? People who spend their day and their night out in the field with animals, okay? And their job is to keep them alive. And so um, some of us have had experiences on farms and things like that, but for a lot of us here in Northeast Minneapolis, that is a foreign concept. So what I want you to try to do is to wrap your mind around what it would mean to be a shepherd, someone who spends most of your time outside, even at night. And you're living in this time when the shepherds were hearing from the angels um, that, as Leland described last week, there's great oppression. Uh, it's a really difficult time to be alive. There's a lot of uh, really oppressive powers and things that are going on. So try to imagine being that kind of person who not only is afraid of that in the social spheres, but also afraid of wild animals coming in the middle of the night, okay? So try to imagine that, this time of great uncertainty, and I'm going to read the Christmas story that many of us have read before in Luke 2. So imagine you are a shepherd, all right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, degree, a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds, that's you, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, clearly. But an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, You said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were, was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right. So now you're, you're a shepherd, and this has all happened to you. Have you ever thought about what happens to these shepherds after that? Okay? This is just a, a thing that's coming up in my mind as I was reading this story. After this experience, which, I mean, that wasn't just another night in the field, right? This was a crazy experience. In a matter of a few days, they've seen an angel appear and tell them not to be afraid and tell them that there is good news of great joy for all people. A whole sky full of angels start singing to them. They travel and find the baby Jesus and his family. They have now met the Messiah in person. They go and tell their community all about it, and everybody hears about this great news, and they get to be the messengers of this news. And then it says they go back, return to the field where they came from, <laughs> rejoicing because, man, the angels said that, and exactly what the angels said came true. But they go right back into their circumstances. I mean, talk about coming down off a mountaintop experience, right? I mean, they return to taking care of sheep day in and day out. I mean, their lives, as far as we know it, didn't really change much at all. I mean, on one hand, their lives were completely changed, right? But their circumstances didn't change at all. Their circumstances remained exactly the same. These angels are shining in the sky, telling them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. And that sounds like an amazing, joyous experience, doesn't it? You know what doesn't sound like an amazing, joyous experience? Sleeping next to sheep poop. That doesn't sound amazing. But that's their life, right? That's what they now did for the rest of their life. And when I think about the Christmas story, and I think about this Sunday of joy, it brings up this tension for me. Because sure, I can feel happy around the holidays, and it can be good to be with family and friends, and the choir sounded amazing, and the lights, and it's beautiful. But let's just have an honest moment together here. By January, we're going to take down all the Christmas lights, and there's still going to be three or four more months of winter. Is this anybody's first winter in Minnesota? I'm so sorry you had to find out this way. But that's going to be the reality, right? There's still going to be like three or four months of winter left. And let's be honest, some of the family time that we have this holiday season is not so joyous. It's actually stressful and there's a lot of drama, right? And the reality that we don't have to listen too long to the national or international news to know that right now in our world we're facing more fear and terror and division and hate than maybe some of us have ever seen in our lives or for decades. And I think it's uh, something I could suggest to you today is that joy is a little bit hard to come by these days. And even if we can drum up some happiness for the holidays, we're going to end up right back in our circumstances in 2016 and all the other circumstances that are going to come our way in 2016. So I have no intentions to be like a Scrooge this Advent season. I'm not trying. I'll get there, okay? But I just think we need to start with the reality, right? So don't hear me saying this is like a Scrooge thing. But what I want to suggest to you today is that the type of joy that we can drum up or kind of force is not joy at all. It might be happiness, but it's not joy, by my understanding of the word joy. It might be happiness that we have when we see the lights and it's pretty and it's fun, and happiness is great. 
But the joy that I think these angels were talking about and the joy that was being spread by the shepherds 2,000 years ago, I think is something much deeper. And I want to get to that. First, I want to tell you a story. So this story happened this week. I bet a lot of you had this same thing happen to you. Um, I went to Target. So I was at Target, and I decided to have a little bit of an experiment, all right? I decided to count how many people I saw at Target, which during this time of the year, there's a lot of people at Target. And I decided to count how many of those people seemed to have even like a little bit of joy or happiness or something positive on their face, okay? So their countenance, you know, you say like somebody's countenance. Was their countenance at all positive? And so I wanted to count and see how many people with a positive countenance did I see at Target. So I counted, I lost somewhere at like 150, I lost count how many people were there, a lot of people were there. And I only saw six people that I would suggest had somewhat of a positive countenance of joy or happiness or even anything but not looking kind of ticked on their face, all right? Now, some people, when I made eye contact with them because I was looking at their face, they would smile at me for like a second, and then their face would go right back to the like grim thing that was going on there. And this is just really interesting to me. So I'm counting all of this, and I'm thinking as I look at these grim faces, we're in Target. Like, anything you could possibly want in the world is in Target, right? Can you imagine how many people on the face of this planet would have their mind blown if they were in Target? Are you, you get where I'm going with this? Not to mention, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And people just look ticked and, and, and grim and uh, stressed and all of these things. And I don't know, did they not realize Cool 108 has been playing Christmas music for weeks? But they didn't get that memo or something. I'm looking around Target, and people look miserable. They look stressed. They look burdened. They're freaking out at each other. They're sending, like, either verbal or nonverbal stressors towards each other or their children. This is what I experienced. And here's the thing. You can go to the back of Target, and there is a big section of books, right? And there are tons of books on the topic of happiness. And maybe some of you have read some of these books. I brought some pictures of the titles of some of these books that they have. Can we put these up here on the screen? So the first one, Destination Happiness, 20 Secrets Revealed. If you can remember the 20 secrets, then you'll be happy, is what this book tells you. Look at the next one. The Happiness Advantage. Now this one has only seven principles of positive psychology that fuels success and performance at work. So some of you are like, I need that one because I'd be just fine and joyful if it wasn't for my workplace, right? All right, the next one, the happiness project. So really, it's just a project. Take a year, try to figure it out. Some of you might have read this book. The next one, authentic happiness, using the new positive psychology to realize your potential for lasting fulfillment. This guy's got a PhD, all right? And then, this is my, this is my favorite one that I saw. Raising happiness. 10 simple steps for more joyful kids and happier parents. It's just 10 steps, people. I don't know what you're having such a hard time with it for. (laughs) 10 steps. The kids are going to be happy. You're going to be happy. Everything's going to be fine. And I I would suggest, actually, right now, in our culture, there is kind of like a happiness movement. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but if you look at the news feeds and the blogs and the TED Talks and the whatevers, uh, this is kind of a thing right now. 
this idea of positive psychology and how can we convince ourselves to be happy, there's ways to do that. And I would agree that there's ways to do that psychologically. I have a BA in psychology, doesn't mean I'm a like, psychologist, but I studied it. And positive psychology can be a really good thing. Uh, positive thinking, cognitive behavioral therapy, cool, I'm totally into it. You can work on all that stuff and I think it could even make you happier. But there is a theory of psychology that people don't like to talk about, and maybe some of you have heard of this, um, and it's yet to be disproven, and it's called the sadder but wiser phenomenon. Has anybody heard that before? A couple people, maybe. The sadder but wiser phenomenon. And if you haven't heard this before, and I'm telling you now, and it's going to make you feel really sad, once again, that's not what I'm going for today, okay? Basically, the sadder but wiser phenomenon is that the people who have the most accurate view of themselves and the world are statistically more sad than people who have unrealistic views of themselves and the world. Okay, so uh, the wi they're wiser, people are wiser to what's happening in their own life and around them in their own lives, but they are sadder. Uh, the technical term for this is depressive realism. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? <laughs> depressive realism, doesn't sound good. Now, for sure, people who are uh, suffering from depression can have actually a very distorted negative view, but they're talking about actually just kind of your average person who doesn't have a mental illness, the more accurate view of themselves, the sadder, and the world, the sadder that they are. And I can't help but think about the people who are not as wise but are happier, <laughs> and that they might be putting some of these principles to work, right? And that might not be wrong. That might not be wrong. But trying to think positive and, you know, not letting too much negative news into your world, you know, like you don't want the negative auras and space in your space or whatever. This is kind of what people are hoping to do. Some of you, I know, have probably tried to limit your intake of the news lately because it's really tough to hear, and I don't blame you for that. And I am not putting down anybody who pursues happiness in this way or the happiness movement in that way. All I'm saying here today is that I think that joy is something much deeper than that. I think something much deeper is what the joy is that was being talked about here in the Christmas story. And I think that there's only one way to receive true joy. And if you want to disagree with me, I'd love to hear it. But I actually think there's only one way to have authentic, true, deep joy in your life. And I think we see it in the Christmas story. And I think that the way that we do that we receive joy when we draw near to Jesus. We receive joy when we draw near to Jesus. And I'm sorry if that's maybe too simple of a Sunday school answer for you today, but it's Sunday, and I think God wants to school us on some things sometimes. And this is what I think it is. The shepherds heard about Jesus, and they went to him. And they could only go to God because God first came to them. Do you see how that goes? Jesus was called Emmanuel, which, if we're just going to translate that literally, it means the with us God. Jesus is the with us God. And the God's invitation to us is to be the with God people. Jesus is the with us God, and we have the opportunity to choose, if we want to, be the with God people. But we wouldn't even have that choice if it wasn't for Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 5 that joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you have thought about and studied and learned about the fruit of the Spirit. You can't force those things, friends. Those are things that come from being connected to God, being connected to God's Spirit. And then those things are fruit that grows in your life. 
So here's the thing. I'm going to put my definitions of joy and happiness on the screen. And you can have different definitions, but these are just mine for today, okay? So happiness. Temporary feelings of pleasure, contentment, and satisfaction usually easily swayed by circumstances. That's not a bad thing. I'm all for feeling happy. Joy is a feeling of deep trust that God is in control and that though difficult circumstances may come and go, your heart's desire is to continue to praise God. Let's just leave that up there for a couple minutes. I think that these are the definitions that I would want to use when talking about the difference between happiness and joy. And here in this passage, we hear the angels saying, good news of great joy. And even though those shepherds went back to their everyday life, they had the opportunity, because they drew near to Jesus, to experience joy. Even though sleeping next to sheep poop isn't always happy. But when you look at this definition of joy, is that what you are experiencing right now? Is that what I'm experiencing right now? Do we feel that? Is that where we're at today? Because this is what I see on the faces of people at Target. No, that's not what I saw on the faces of people around us during the most wonderful time of the year. In this story, the angels declare that the, there's this news of God coming to earth in the form of this little baby and that that news is supposed to cause great joy for all people. So let's just talk for a second. What, why does this cause great joy? Okay, A few things. One, the joy comes from knowing that the Messiah has come to save us from the brokenness of the world and our own brokenness. Right? We can all agree there's some brokenness in this world, and I think most of us uh, should be able to say comfortably, I, yeah, I've got some brokenness too. I would. That's great. It's also cause for great joy that Jesus is the king. And we sing about that in Christmas time as well. Jesus is the king of a kingdom that's coming now in our midst, and someday is going to come fully, and all things are going to be made new. That is a reason for joy. Absolutely. Also, this joy comes from knowing that you and I can be a part of God's family. Jesus coming and his death and resurrection made it possible so that we could all be welcomed into God's family. That we are a part and we are included in God's plan. The great story that God's been telling for thousands of years and is continuing to tell. We're a part of that story. That's great. That is a cause for joy. And all of this is true, but I want to suggest today that the deepest reason that Jesus coming incarnate, as we often say, Jesus coming as a God, coming to become a human, to become one of us, and to enter into all of our mess, what is the reason that that is a cause of great joy? What's the deepest reason? And I think it's that the God of the universe wanted to be with us. The Savior of the world invites us to be with him. This is what that deep, deep joy is about. And just like the shepherds, uh, who are going to go through their everyday life now, their life is not radically changed. They're going to do the stuff of life. They're going to take care of the sheep, wrestle a bear or two or something, right? We have laundry that never ends and house projects that just keep getting longer. And uh, the kids are having a hard time at school. And I don't like my job. And it's, we're having a hard time with the finances. And the list could go on, right? The circumstances in our life stay a part of our life, and we look around in our city, in our country, in our world, the circumstances of pain and suffering and terrorism is happening. And in the midst of that, the God of the universe 
wanted to be with us in that. Can we see in the midst of our circumstances that the great joy to all people was about something that God wanted for every single one of us to have, and that was a connection with him. A connection with him. A connection with him that he was willing to die for. That's how badly God wanted us to be able to be connected to God again. Jesus came to bring joy right now where we are in the midst of our circumstances. A joy that comes from knowing that you're not alone. A joy that comes from knowing that God is in control. That God didn't set the world in motion and let us leave us there to fend for ourselves. But that God is active and moving and is with us. God is the with us God. Will we be the with God people? It doesn't mean that we're going to have happiness all the time. And I think we all know that, right? But what God does want for us is joy. And I have to share with you all, as your pastor, something that I have been feeling over these last few months of the fall and into the winter. Uh, I've just been sensing um, that a lot of you feel really far from God. And if that's not you today, I'm so happy. But uh, some of you have shared it with me, and I've heard other things um, as you've been sharing there's been this feeling that some of you just feel really distant. And that's a burden for me as your pastor. And I've been praying and praying that God would help us to reconnect with him in whatever ways that we can. And I've been praying for joy. Because I know some of the circumstances that you're facing. And that burdens me too. But that joy is deeper than that. Maybe, maybe that's not where everybody's at, but if that's you, I want to tell you today that's okay. You don't have to feel shame for that. But I also want to tell you that's not what God wants for you. He wants so much more for you. He wants you. He wants to be connected to you. And my burden is that some of us are lacking this joy because the only way to receive joy is a connection to God. That's the only way. And, and your countenance, your your. Your person, your countenance is not one of joy. I mean, that's why we pray that blessing over people. Do you remember that blessing where we pray that the Lord would lift his countenance upon you to give you peace or joy, contentment? God wants to be with you. And the question we all can ask any Christmas season, but this one particularly, are you connected to Jesus? And as I've had this burden, like I said, I've been praying. I've been praying for us. And praying for you and myself included. And as I've been praying, asking God to give us this joy, I feel like what God keeps reminding me and saying to me is, then come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Connect with me. Let me remind you of my love for you and that I'm in control no matter what's happening around you. As chaotic as it might seem, I am with you. I entered into that mess because I love you so much. I'm in control. I want to be with you. And sometimes I think that's hard for us to believe, that God wants to be with us, you and me. And I think God knew that that was going to be really hard for us to believe. And so that's why God had to come to us, because we wouldn't believe it otherwise. Jesus came. He's this little baby who can't even fend for himself. He grows up to be a man he lives in this incredible ministry that we can learn from, and he takes upon himself the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of you and me, and it kills him. But he conquers death. 
He conquers death so that we could live forever and so that brokenness wouldn't have to be the end of the story. Amen? God wants you to experience joy. Will you come to God? Will you draw near to Jesus? And I just want to mention a few things that I know can be real barriers to this. They've been barriers for me, and I, I see these barriers for us in our community. The first one, I think, is, is just being busy. That is really hard, and I get that. It's really hard to find ways to connect with God and to find the time to do that. I know. But here's the thing. God's waiting for us to make that time. But you know what else? God's with us saying, all right, what are we doing today? Let's do this. God's out ahead of us, behind us, coming with us, just wanting us to pay attention to what God's doing in our everyday life, where we work, where we live, our time with our kids, whatever we're doing. God is inviting us to notice what he's doing all around us. I know that there's barriers to receiving God's love and the truth that God wants to be with us because a lot of you have shared with me that it's very difficult for you to believe that you're actually worth loving. That the God of the universe would love you with unconditional love. And I just have to tell you, listen, you are. You are. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care what you've done or what's been said to you or what names you were called or where you've been or any of that. God loves you anyway. And I know it's hard to believe that, but that is a huge barrier from that connection that brings joy. You have to try. You have to ask God to help you believe it. God wants you to come to him. And I know that a barrier for a lot of us can be a sense of a cynicism, uh, intellectual stuff going on, thinking about God, and it's really hard. And I've been there, and I get it. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes when we begin to just really analyze and think through our faith. And I know that it makes sense. In fact, I even think it's a good thing to do. But it brings that kind of sadder but wiser phenomenon, doesn't it? And that can't be what wins the day, right? We can't let depressive realism take over things, right? Depressive realism is what comes in when you take God out of the equation. Faith is not about certainty. I love what the writer Anne Lamont says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. If you know for certain, you don't need faith anymore, right? God's not afraid of your doubts. God's not afraid of your questions. He's like, bring them on, let's do it. Come on, let's hear it. God's not afraid of our intellectual prowess. God's not afraid of the studying and reading that we're doing of other religions and other things. That's fine, bring them to God. But don't lose connection with God in the midst of that and be in a place where you can't experience joy because you've disconnected from the Spirit of God. God is going to be there in the midst of your doubts, and you can still have a connection with him in the midst of that. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Will you let Jesus express to you that the, at the end of your day of thinking and ruminating and trying to get everything straight in your head, there he is waiting to be with you and say, all right, we'll do it again tomorrow. I want to be with you. You don't have to understand everything to know that Jesus wants to be with you. And then I think there's this final barrier that may be something true for you, and I know it has been for me at times. And that is that our circumstances are so difficult right now that it's so hard to imagine how we would really trust God enough to want to draw near to Jesus. And I get that. 
This last year, 2015, had some tough circumstances for me. I experienced some significant loss in my life. And I get that. It's really hard. And, and I know that that is something that can put a barrier and a wedge between us and God because we're confused and that's okay. But I know this is true. God wants us to see that even in those difficult experiences, God is working. And if you're in a difficult, difficult experience, you might say to me, it's really hard to believe that God's actually doing something here. But if you're completely disconnected from God, it's impossible to believe that. God wants us to draw close to him, even in our darkest hour, even in those moments, God can give us glimpses of joy because it's so much deeper than happiness. God did the most radical thing possible to prove to us that he wanted to be with us, to become Emmanuel, the with us God. And God invites us to be the with God people, connected to God's spirit, spirit and experiencing joy beyond our circumstances. Nehemiah writes that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I don't know about you, but I could use some of that in 2016. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is what I want for us this Christmas. This is what I'm asking God as a Christmas gift for our community. Is that deeper connection so we can experience God's joy. This is my prayer. That we would be people who constantly ask God to help us remove those barriers between us and God so that we can connect and reconnect with God again. If you're looking for ways to do that, please let us know. We've got lots of tools and resources and we'll walk through you, through it with you and do it with you, whatever it takes, because this is important. We have to have a connection to God and to God's spirit if we want a fruit of the spirit like joy to be a part of our lives. We have to ask God to help us to overcome the busyness, the doubt, the fears, the questions, the cynicism, and in a deeper way, become the with God people. I'm going to have the choir and the band come back up. And we're going to celebrate communion together today. And oftentimes when we celebrate communion, I feel like it's a really solemn thing, right? Because it is serious. What we're doing when we celebrate communion is uh, celebrating the night when Jesus was going to die. And he sits with his followers and he says to them, I want you to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, I want you to remember that my body has been broken for you and my blood has been shed for you. And I think what Jesus was saying is pretty much every time you eat a meal, I want you to remember that. So you can do that any meal that you're ever having. But we celebrate communion in this way together in the Eucharist because we're able to celebrate together what Jesus has done for us. And it often is reflective and it's a time of repentance and I totally think that's a great thing. But today... We're going to have the choir and all of you, as we take communion, sing joy to the world. Because we want to celebrate that the fact that we can have this communion today, that we're celebrating this symbolic reality, that Jesus did everything necessary to remove the barriers between us and God. And we can celebrate that. So the communion servers are going to come forward, and as we sing, you can sing along and get in line and, and take communion. You just come in line, you take the bread, dip it into the cup, and then uh, you can go back to your seat. And everybody's welcome to participate in the communion today. If you follow Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you don't have to be a member of this church. Um, we're glad that you can join with us today. So why don't you stand with us, and we're going to sing Joy to the World as we celebrate communion together.